So this is a fun one. You know, we've done so much in so many different directions. We, we've spent a lot of time talking to orthopedic surgeons. We pivoted uh, to some other things, regenerative medicine, the OG box opener. But I thought we'd go old school, go back to the trenches here. And we have an amazing guest. His name is Dr. Denur Damodar. He's the chief resident, University of Miami Orthopedic Residency. And he's just a great guy. He found me. I loved it. He sort of DM'd me on LinkedIn. That's how we connected. And he's a real, he's, he's going to be an amazing orthopedic surgeon. He's just done so much uh, in his early part of his career. He's going to rush to do a sports medicine uh, fellowship next year. And he gives us a really cool perspective about what training is like now and his desire to be an orthopedic surgeon. It's a lot of fun. I know you're going to like it. We continue to thank our sponsor, OrthoLaser Orthopedic Laser Centers. They continue to offer MLS M8 technology for chronic and acute orthopedic pain as an alternative source to opioids and possibly even avoiding surgery. The franchise has continued to spread across the country. It's an amazing opportunity for orthopedic surgeons and doctors and even medical device reps to become part of the growing technology. OrthoLaser Milwaukee and OrthoLaser Rochester just opened. We have another five in the queue. Come and join the OrthoLaser franchise family. Hashtag follow the fro. For medical media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic space. We've been all over the world. Uh, we've been having a lot of fun lately, and uh, we're going to go to Miami, down to maybe even South Beach, maybe for a little bit of, of a, a story or two. But bottom line is we're going into the trenches of orthopedic training with Dr. Denur Damodar, who's the chief resident of orthopedics down at the University of Miami Jackson Memorial Hospital. He did his undergraduate training at USC as well as medical school at USC, grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. Denur, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, brother. Hey, Dr. Sigmund. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for uh, slumming it with a resident after all these uh, famous attendings that I'm following. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. But that's what we want to do. You know, we've had like we do so many different things. We've had, you know, we did regenerative medicine last week. We've had, you know, the OG of box openers, Cyril Romer, group company chairman of Johnson Johnson. We've had amazing orthopedic surgeons that are in at the end of their career, in the midst of their career. And I thought it would be great just to get a, a snapshot of what's happening in training right now. And I think that uh, being down at University of Miami, the Jackson Memorial Hospital System, I know you're getting amazing training. We, we want to hear all about it. But before we get there, we always like to find out, you know, it's like, where where did the passion for orthopedics come from? You're in Louisville, Kentucky. How early was it that you knew that that's what you wanted to do? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great question. I, and I think it's always different for all of us. You know, everyone kind of has their athletic injury that that spurs their interest in orthopedics. And uh, I was a soccer player and a tennis player, and I was spraining my ankles left and right and, you know, not kind of seeing orthopedic surgeons, getting MRIs, and, and and just the simplicity of some of the things that an orthopedic surgeon was doing to get me back to playing was kind of where it all started. But, you know, I, I think I kind of had a unique story as well, just growing up. I, you know, I know you grew up, I grew up in Louisville, but uh, I was actually born in India, lived in Hong Kong for a couple of years before I moved to Louisville. 
And uh, I had kind of a different perspective, I guess, on the world. You know, I came from from an Asian country and moved to the South. And then I grew up in Louisville and, uh, and my family, friends, a lot of them were physicians. My parents weren't. And uh, hearing kind of their day to day and some of the things that they did is what really spurred that initial interest I had in medicine. And then the rest was history. I mean, I, I loved sports. I loved taking care of athletes um, and, and the orthopedic surgeons and the things they did for me kind of solidified that interest uh, from an early age. Yeah, that's a common thread. We get, you know, a lot of sports medicine uh, guys come from an athletic career. And uh, uh, we, we've heard that uh, from Dr. Mary O'Connor, who was on the U.S. Olympic team for crew from Yale. And so it's a it's a very common theme that we've heard across the, the ortho show for sure. Now, I think it's interesting because I really like this. I mean, how did we connect? You just, dude, you just like came, you just like, you just DM me out of the blue and you were just like, I want to talk to this guy. Is that right? Remind me. Absolutely. I, I, it's, you know, it's funny. I, I, I always kind of tell this to uh, some of the younger med students and, and undergrads who asked me for advice about what to do. And, you know, I think you do it respectfully, but I, I was on LinkedIn. I, I was kind of building up my profile and I, truthfully, I saw all the, the cool stuff you were doing. I mean, I, I was like, wow, there's an orthopedic surgeon here. He's in sports medicine. He's an entrepreneur. He's active on social media. He's got a podcast. You know, these are kinds of things that I'm interested in doing. And I, you know, in my, in my spare time, I want to kind of make the most out of everything. And so I figured why not reach out to Dr. Sigmund, see, uh, see if he's going to be willing to talk to me and, uh, and then give me some advice. And I think one of the big things that I've learned over the years is you find good mentors and people that, that, you know, are kind of passionate about your career and are willing to help you and seem approachable and you reach out to them. And, and, you know, if they're willing to talk to you, I think, there is a ton to be gained from, from those sort of encounters. So. That was brilliant. Great, great move. I mean, it's so funny. I mean, if I, if, if we're going to be out there, like the Corey Calendines of the world, Steve Mora's that, you know, just see these amazing social media posts and all the things that they're doing. If you're going to put yourself out there, then you got to be able to receive too, you know? So it was great. As soon as you DM me, we picked up and we had a great conversation and look, here you are on the ortho show podcast, brother. So it's all full circle. Good for you. And uh, you know, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. We'll talk some more about some of the other stuff that we're going to do together as well. But uh, I always say, you know, at the table of innovation, at the table of, of entrepreneurs or, or leading knowledge people, they, there's always a seat at the table for you. All you have to do is have the courage to ask and be one apart. I mean, people love the idea that someone like yourself would reach out and want to and have a conversation. So kudos to you. I think that was awesome. So, all right, let's talk a little bit about residency. I mean, I got to pull the old man card here. You know, <laughs> when I was in school, you know, we did 120 hours a week. We really did. I mean, we were on call like every other night. And residency back then wasn't all about just learning. It was also a service. We, we probably, we, you know, 70% what I did, I, I think was education, but the other 30% was putting in IVs. We were, we were drawing blood. We put in Foley's. I mean, it was like crazy stuff that, that you guys would never even think about. You probably have no idea how to, how to draw blood right now. Correct. Am I wrong? Absolutely correct. Absolutely <laughs> exactly. correct. So, so we, that's what we did. I mean, so it was like 30% of what we did was sort of a payback to the hospital because they paid our salary. So, but then they changed all the rules and we wanted to make sure that the residents could get their teeth clean to make sure they could change the oil in their car. And then all of a sudden <laughs> it's like, it was like maxed out, right? You can only do like 80 hours a week or something like that. So what, what are the rules now? And what's going on? That's, that's so funny. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, you say that and it's funnier even because 
as a chief, I kind of do that to the junior residents. And I'm like, back when I was a two and back when I was an intern, we did this and we did this. And, you know, now you guys are coming up here. And so it's, it, it never changes, but I mean, truthfully, I, I think you, your generation was the one that, that really kind of set the tone and, and worked and defined the term residency, right? Like living, living at the hospital. Whereas I, I definitely think it's, it's easier on us. I mean, we have an 80 hour work week, which is what it is. And we have to follow it as per ACGME. Um, you know, there's certainly some programs, as you know, in the country that are going to be busier than others, where you have level one trauma call at a, at a busy county hospital and you're up all night. And yeah, you know, you, you, you're going to be going home the next day, but you got work to do. So that work's going to get done at some point and you got to figure out when that's going to get done. And so I think, you know, down in Miami, I've been fortunate because it's a busy, busy county hospital. Same thing as where I went to med school in LA, um, tons of exposure, tons of training, tons of reps tons of patients. You got to learn how to speak Spanish. You know, you got, you got a couple things going on. So definitely um, not, not quite what you had, I'm sure, but I think I've been lucky to have a hospital that has forced me to sort of step out of my comfort zone, do a lot of things I might not have done at a sort of cushier training program, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, we, we all like to joke, you know, like I, I walked to school uphill one way, I took another way home to walk uphill again, you know, the same way. But at the end of the day, a lot of what we were doing really didn't need to be done by our level of training. So if you eliminate the service side of it, and then you really look back to say that, you know, it's how many reps, you really need the reps. I mean, that's what residency is all about is you need to learn how to do this stuff because you're, you're, you know, you're going to do another year of fellowship, but then you're going to go out and be an attending surgeon. You're going to be taking care of people. So we want to make sure that you guys are, are knife ready and knowledgeable and, and, and no indications as well as good surgical techniques. So, but I mean, come on. I mean, the trauma, trauma's call's got to suck, man. Come on. That place, that place rocks it out, right? It's got to be crazy. You get crushed. I mean, I can I think back to a couple Saturdays when I was on 24 hour call and, you know, I had 30 consoles and I, I was in the, in the trauma bay and recess and I walk in there and they look up at me and they're like, we got nine for you. And I look around and there's, you know, four traction pins, five reductions, I once, I once splinted a guy who came in, I, I splinted his entire body, I think. I mean, it almost got to the point where it was, it was a joke. I was like, I'm not doing this guy's service. I mean, I need to immobilize his broken bones, but I got, I got bilateral sugar tongs going up into coaptation splints. I got, I got long leg splints on both of his legs. Like I'm, I'm putting a, a a boot on his foot, you know, it's, it's, it's wild. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, you know, I trained at, at University of Maryland and spent some time at Shock Trauma, which, you know, again, was one of those places where you were proud to wear the pink scrubs because that was like, you know, that was the scrubs for Shock Trauma, but man, it was, uh, it was brutal as far as the time. And I'll, I'll never forget, it was like inner city Baltimore, you know, there's always kind of a lot of trouble going on, but there was this one guy that really was causing all the trouble. You know, his name was some dude because every single guy said the same thing. Man, who did this to you? How'd this happen? Oh, it was some dude. It was like, I'm like you gotta, you gotta watch out for that some dude guy. He's pretty bad, but you know, it's, uh, I'm sure you get some of the knife and gun club stuff too going on, but it's, uh, it's crazy stuff, but it's important. And I know that the the program also has an amazing sports medicine program, I'm sure you have an amazing recon. I'm sure you're getting all the subspecialties of orthopedics that are happening down there as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and one of the things, you know, I, I kind of sat on the residency selection committee the last couple of years and I always like giving them general advice about what to look for in a program. And what was great about the training at the University of Miami is before I applied for fellowship, I rotated in every subspecialty. 
and I saw it all. And I, I had some time to talk to those attendings and ask them about what it was like to be in that subspecialty. And it really makes things a lot clearer for you when you apply to fellowship. I think it's a super important thing to look for in a residency training program. And we have it in spades, which is great. Yeah. Great advice for all those uh, residents or medical students that are out there listening that are, uh, are thinking about orthopedics and the direction that they want to go. Really make sure you do your homework and make sure you understand the program. So, all right. So we're going to switch over to something. I'm a little, I'm a little worried about you. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> you know, we've got 27 peer review publications. You were the Anna Resident Scholarship winner, the Anna Ortho Regeneration Resident Scholarship winner, but I don't see a book anywhere. You haven't written a book. I mean, what's going on here? Bro? <laughs> I'm slacking big time. I got to, I think I got to write my next book chapter with you, Dr. Sigmund. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> I love it because that, that'll be my first too. That's for sure. Perfect. But I mean, it's so many. I know you've listened to a bunch of the stories. I mean, we got Sorrento Dabdari and Hori Chala. I mean, these guys are just you know pu- pulling out these publications like it's not nothing going on. But obviously, you're you've done it amazingly well. You've got 27 peer reviewed publications, and you're you're just a chief resident. You know, you got a long career to go. So. We're thrilled to hear that you're uh, that you're doing well. So tell us about your Anna Resident Scholarship winner. What was that paper? So actually, the it, it wasn't actually a paper. What it was, which was great, was it was an opportunity to apply as a PGY three to just go to the Anna meeting, get the meeting paid for, uh, be able to attend a resident and fellow sort of specialty day focused on you know talks from incredible surgeons like Dr. Verma and others who were talking about the business side of medicine, what to look for in a fellowship, how to start your career, what things to think about, you know, just kind of makes everything really crystallized for you. And you you applied and needed a letter of recommendation and and submitted an application with your CV. And they selected a few people. And and that meeting, you know, glad you brought it up, was was awesome for me because I was able to connect with some really incredible faculty that I would have never had access to. and, And I tried to keep up those relationships. And I really do think that made a difference for me uh, come fellowship time in the in the interview trail, and so I, I couldn't be happier. It was uh, it was in Orlando too, so I was able to drive up. It was it was so easy for me. Well, that's awesome because I know that you're going to rush uh, this coming September, if I'm not mistaken, for the sports medicine program there, which is arguably one of the top one or two programs in our country, uh, if not the world, for sports medicine right now. So congratulations, that's fantastic. But I think that's great. I mean, you really you thought about it and you you really put energy and effort into it and, and figuring out these ways. Then you meet the people, then they get to know you, you know, especially in the setting of, of COVID right now. I mean, it's really hard for residents and to be able to travel and be able to do and be, be able to interview and do all these things and really be able to identify. So kudos to you and Jorge Chala and the crew up there, Brian Cole, Nick Verma. They're, they're, you must be super excited for, for that program. I'm so excited. I'm I'm super fortunate, and and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that every day that I'm there. Try to get the most out of it that I can. Yeah, no, it will be, and hopefully all the sports will be back, so you'll be going and checking out all the sports teams and doing all that cool stuff. Plus, working with some really amazing orthopedic surgeons who are at the top of their game. So I'm sure that will be a fantastic year for you. All right, so there's another thing. I'm not sure if you can talk about it, but it was really cool. I sort of dug into your CV. You got a submission publication right now on the impact of social media presence, age, patient reported wait times on physician review websites of sports medicine surgeons. Can you talk about it or is it in submission and you really can't talk about it? No, absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a really interesting topic. Funnily coming from me because I I call myself, Dr. Sigman, socially irrelevant because I didn't have my own personal Instagram. And, uh, you know, I get crap from all my buddies because 
they have to send my wife uh, funny uh, like videos and pictures and stuff. They want to actually get to me. So I'm, I'm uh, ironically, maybe not the best person to be publishing a study on social media, but I, I really got interested in it because it's starting to become a huge part of orthopedics and a huge part of medicine. And, and a, re- a lot of residents are, are very involved with their social media profiles. So what we did was we looked <clears throat> through basically just publicly available database at all the surgeons. And we did it for arthroplasty as well, but for sports medicine as well. And then we went on the review websites. Um, like health grades and vitals. And we looked at the reviews of each physician, their wait times. Uh, we didn't dig into their comments because that was going to be probably a whole nother project into itself. And then we tried to see if the presence of them having a professional social media account affected those ratings. Uh, and what we found was there was trends towards those ratings being affected, but it wasn't significant. But what was cool was that we found that a lot of the the people who had a professional social media account had more comments, more reviews, better wait times actually, and tended to be the younger orthopedic surgeons in the demographic that we split it into. And so one of the things we kind of gleaned from that was that I, I think it's just engagement. You know, it's it's being out there, being available, your patient looks you up, they see you, you have a presence online. All of a sudden, you see more relatable. You, you know, they can even message you. I, I know that's that's going a little far sometimes, but they can they have a they have a vehicle to kind of see you out in the world, other than just in in the office. And I think that can certainly affect your reviews and your perception. So that was that was a cool project to work on. Yeah, no, I agree. I think one of the other things that I would think about for that is that the doctors that really are are. In, or, or engaged within social media are concerned about their image by definition. And so therefore they're also going to be more concerned about their reviews. So therefore you're going to either, you're hopefully going to be generating positive reviews. I mean, that's, that's what I do. I mean, I actually have a service doctor.com that we use because you want, you know, the average person for them to sort of go home and, and do a review, it takes a lot of energy. Right. And right. so you want to try and make it easy for them. So there's a lot of different services that are out there, but you know, you can give them a tablet and you just say, Hey, do you mind giving us a review? Or there's, there's uh, other services where you can get them through your EMR. It gets texted directly to them and they can do that. But I think that make, you know, I think that the, the doctors that understand that it's not just hanging up your shingle anymore, that it's really about your presence and that people check you out and they're looking for you on reviews and that people will come to you and they will search you out. It's not just a primary care doctor referring a patient to you anymore. I mean, that's super important to have that whole whole aspect of, of your brand, your professional brand that people are looking for, that they want to come and find you. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. I think that's another great point. I mean, I think the reality is those physicians with social media accounts are, are more engaged. They're reaching out to their patients. They're saying, hey, you know, you had a positive experience. Would you mind just hopping on this real quick and, and talking to other people about it? And, and that truly is a great way um, to engage them. And I think it, it's, it's great for the physician. It's sort of a mutually beneficial uh, scenario. And it's also good for patients. I mean, I say that all the time, right? It, it, you know, if, if you've gone to a doctor you know, and, and you've had an amazing surgery and a great experience, and that seems unique. Why wouldn't you want to be able to share that with other individuals so that they right. know that they can have that experience? 
because not all doctors are the same. Some are some do more or less or care more or less or worry about the patient experience or maybe just the outcome. So being able to really identify and, and personalize who the doctor is and the type of experience that they're providing for their patient, I feel that social media is a great way to be able to share that and improve overall patient care. So uh, good for you. I'm glad you did that. There's probably a lot more that you could dig into on that. There's definitely some more papers, I'm sure, along the social media pathway that you, I'm sure you'll be able to take advantage of. Absolutely. I think it's such an evolving field in, in, within orthopedics and within medicine as a whole. So I'm, I'm looking forward to looking more into it. All right. So now you're, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of cool stuff, man. You got, uh, you got way too much time on your hands because you're in that easy residency thing now where you only got 80 hours a week, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you're doing some healthcare advisory role type stuff too. You're working with a company called Arbutus as well as I'm familiar with force. Uh, But how did you, so what's the drive to sort of do, you know, entrepreneurial type stuff or things outside of clinical medicine beyond just the scope of, of treating a joint? What's your desire? Why is that there? Yeah, I think that that's a great question. I it was it wasn't something that I think truthfully I, I thought much about during medical school and really during the early parts of residency. I was really focused on learning as much as I could, working as hard as I could, getting the reps that I needed to get. And then kind of as I went into my chief residency year and uh, I was feeling more comfortable with my operative skills and, and my clinical skills, I really started to think about how how the whole thing worked around me. You know, I, I get, I'm, I have the unique opportunity to work at a surgery center, children's hospital, a VA, a county hospital, a private hospital. And so I'm seeing the functionality, the EMRs, the, the digital health aspect of things. And then, you know, I, I, kind of, I have these ideas and I'm thinking, well, you know, this would be great this way, this would be great this way. And, and I think, you know, kudos to you, Dr. I mean, it's, it's guys like you that are entrepreneurs and have these businesses that are running it that kind of make us feel like we can also do it. Um, and I, I think a great way to start, at least in my, my thought process, was why don't I give that advice as an advisor or, or as a consultant, uh, kind of understand how the process works. And if I have my own idea and something that I think that has legs, I can always pursue that down the road. And, and that was kind of what drove me during my chief year. And so um, I'm working with this company and I'm, I'm helping them come up with projects for skeletal traction uh, uses in, in level one trauma centers. And, and I'm hoping to kind of branch into the digital health space more because, you know, it's funny, we talk about residency and everything and you really are on the front lines. Like you take a lot of the practice call and, and you get a lot of the pages from the patients and you think about post-operative outcomes in the 90 day global period. And, and residents get a lot of those calls and they kind of know what's happening, you know, on the front lines. They see the patients in the ER. Okay, well, maybe if we had this set up in place, you know, this patient wouldn't have to come into the emergency department and this patient might not get readmitted or we can do this, this and this. And so that's kind of where my mind started and, and everything evolved from there. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, as we come out of COVID, right, the digital transformation of medicine is really going to explode. It just has to, right? We're not going back to what we did before. And I think that your generation, which was literally, I mean, the phone was in your hands, right? I mean, you just you just have this, you know, amazing supercomputer that's been in your hands since the age of seven or whatever it is. And you guys have you look at life in a different lens and you can you can sort of incorporate the the different aspects of, of what's happening in the digital world of what's in your personal life and, and then say, look, why are we doing it the same way that we've always done it in medicine? Let's try something new and different. Let's make the patient experience better. So I think guys like yourself and your generation can really make a difference as we move forwards and, and hopefully make it better for all of us for sure. 
So, all right. So I want to talk about this other thing. So I was on, uh, I was on the Beyond Medicine podcast with my friend, Rami Web- Webby, and he's a internal medicine doc. He just finished his training as well. And he's got this great podcast and he's a great guy. And uh, he's like, he's like, Scott, he's like, you know, have you, have you heard about Clubhouse? And I'm like, well, you know, I've been invited to the clubhouse, but I'm really not <laughs> sure what I'm supposed to do in there. <laughs> I mean, I don't really have a lot of friends in there either. And I'm like, what the, what's I like this, this thing has just blown up. I mean, it has a valuation of a billion dollars. I think I got the invite like three months ago, maybe. So, so look for the, for the old people out there that are listening right now, they're all getting asked to join this clubhouse. Walk us through what this thing is and why it's important and why you like it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's for all the old people. It's not a club. It's not an actual club. It's it's an app uh, on on the iPhone. It's only on the iPhone as of now, which I would say is, is one of the downsides of it. It doesn't have an Android interface, but it's really cool. What it is 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 a social media networking uh, app that is audio based. Has a basis of clubs. You, you, you're a founder of a club. You open a club. So one of the ones I'm involved with that I actually asked you, Dr. Shigman, to come help out, be an expert panelist on, is a club called the Bone Club. Oh, you got to stop calling me Dr. Sigman, okay? <laughs> so there's only one doctor alive that I still call doctor. He's Dr. Steve Snyder. Every time I see Dr. Snyder, I say that. But I'm like, you got to call me Scott. All right, keep going. Scott. Okay. So so we uh, you start a club. You're a founder of a club, and through that club, you gain members. Those members are able to open up a room, and that room is essentially an open audio discussion where there's a set of panelists or moderators who are the speakers, and there's people in the audience. The people in the audience can actually raise their hands. So, for example, a world-renowned expert that nobody has access to could be in a clubhouse room, and there could be an audience member that is a high school student. He can raise his hand. He can come on stage and ask his question. And so the access and the connectivity is unbelievable. So the Bone Club that I was talking about is actually predominantly uh, UK surgeons as of now. And I, I hopped on one of their, their journal clubs one day and talked about fixing femoral neck fractures from a US perspective. And it was a, a bunch of UK surgeons. And they thought it was funny that, you know, that a US guy was on. They thought it was cool. They asked me to kind of be more involved. And, and it kind of went from there. And, and um so now I'm connecting with a bunch of orthopedic, they call them orthopedic registrars, sure. by the way, uh, in, in the UK, which I didn't know. Uh, I'm connecting with a bunch of orthopedic registrars in the UK, orthopedic attendings in the UK, hearing this really cool perspective on, on what it's like to be an orthopedic surgeon outside of my small bubble, you know, in South Florida at a level one trauma center, which I think always broadens your perspective. So I think the beauty of Clubhouse is connecting people that otherwise would have never been connected and giving them a forum to ask questions to people that they might never have asked questions to. It's it's sort of leveling the playing field, so to speak. So we're going to have a, a journal club this Sunday at 3 o'clock Eastern. We're going to be talking all things ACL, so right up your alley. It's going to be uh, hopefully a discussion about quad versus BTB versus hamstring. Uh, what do they like to use? Fixation techniques. And uh, I think everyone should join it. I think it'll be a really fun uh, fun hour. Oh, that's fantastic. I think graph choice is always a great thing to, 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 to talk about. I'm going to be going to be bombing all over my opioid sparing ACL protocols. Although oh, I can't over, wait over there you know, they don't use a lot of opioids over there anyway. They, they never got into trouble like we did, but still it'll be <laughs> fun to make sure whoever's listening knows that you can do an opioid free ACL reconstruction at this time. It's funny. I have a sweatshirt made up and I was, uh, I was on the plane flying down to Dallas to give one of these talks just yesterday. 
and the guy next to me sort of taps me on the shoulder and he's like, uh, are you an orthopedic surgeon? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, my daughter just had ACL surgery, you know, a month ago. Can you, can you tell me about what that whole thing was about? So I was like, yeah, I'm like a walking billboard. I'm like, of course I'll be happy to talk about it. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a real small world for sure. Absolutely. All right, man. So we're going to, we're going to wrap it up here, but I always like to finish with some messaging for the listeners in particular. So I want you to give, if you could sum it up, give us a final message for any of the college students or medical students that are out there right now that are listening who want a career in orthopedics. What advice would you give them right now? I think that's an awesome question. I would say, you know, obviously, first and foremost, crush it, get good grades, set yourself up to be in a position um, of success. But the one thing that I would say is, it's similar to our situation, Dr. Sigmund, is don't hesitate to reach out to people politely, respectfully, but reach out to people who you think might be great mentors and people that can help guide you along your career. Because for me, that's been invaluable. And that's kind of brought me to the path and the point that, I, that I'm at today. Um, over and above just doing well, getting good step one scores, being AOA or having an honor society uh, behind you, work hard. And then the last thing I would say is um, when you're in medical school and you're kind of trying to pick that subspecialty just be true to yourself and, and try to find someone who can really tell you what it's like to be an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, because ultimately, the the level one trauma call that you're seeing at, at the county hospital is a little bit different than than Scott Sigmund's practice in Boston. I think it's great to talk to people who have a perspective um, that's different than what you see at your own institution. And I think it, it really helps clear clear things up in your own head. Fantastic advice for our listeners out there that are thinking about what is still one of the greatest occupations and careers on the planet, orthopedic surgeon, for sure. Well, you know, look, you know, this is exactly what we do on the Ortho Show. Sometimes we pivot to the left a little bit, to the right, but we're always talking about uh, orthopedics, orthopedic surgeons, and their remarkable stories. And this was a real honor to have Dr. Denur Damodar on, who's the chief resident down at Jackson Memorial. And uh, he is a bright star in orthopedics. I'm looking forward to following your career. Uh, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much, Scott. It's been an incredible pleasure having uh, having the experience to be on the Ortho Show. And and again, you know, thanks for thanks for getting back to me and and being a mentor and, and a resource. I, I really appreciate that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of The Ortho Show. Till next time.
until next time.